You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. To the core. Here's what it is. Philippians 1.6. It's on the screen this morning. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. When you are between birth and going home with Jesus, you ought to be constantly growing and constantly becoming all that he wants you to become. And I believe in that verse that even as pastor, even, yes, even as a pastor, as a leader in the church, I must be growing. Which means that I, I, cannot, I cannot stay the same. Because I am confident of this, that he who began a good work will continue to carry it out until he takes me home to be with Jesus when it's carried out to its fullest and I am in perfection. So I'm saying all this to say I believe God isn't done with me. Because of that, I also believe until we meet him, he isn't done working in every person's life who calls upon him as a savior. That's why it upsets me sometimes to see people not respond to his work in their lives. It does. It breaks my heart. And and I don't mean upset angry. I mean, I have compassion on them. Hurts me. Because I, I read this verse and I see what they could be and what they should be. But let me put the brakes on. Isn't this supposed to be about forgiveness this morning? So why is it so hard to forgive? To rely on him for daily bread? Here's why my foundation was shook about three weeks ago. I was minding my own business, sitting in my office, listening to someone who I respect on a podcast. And they said the following, Jesus' ministry was 90% culture and the rest was vision. Okay? But they continued. Yet many ministries and folks in the pulpit spend 90% of their time trying to sell a vision and not work on the culture. And I sat back on my office seat. Boom. 90% of what Jesus talked about was how his disciples interacted with each other. 90% of what Jesus talked about was how how we do church together. 90% of what Jesus talked about was was about how we as a body of believers interact with one another, love one another, forgive one another, speak lovingly to each other. Ten percent was, here's the big vision.
Now imagine my heart when I sit back in my office and I think about myself and I say to myself, I started here in 2014, it's now 2022, that means eight years. I know, hard to believe. And I've spent 95% of the time trying to sell a vision. And I've been pushed to sell a vision. Meanwhile, here's what God said to me through that gentleman who was speaking in the podcast. You can sell the vision all you want. If the culture in the church isn't accepting of the vision, what good is the vision? In other words... If the culture in the church is one that kind of poisons the vision, and I'm not saying that's true here at Faith Church, but you can understand how it might be true. Let's, let's just get it off of Faith Church and let's look at the Corinthian church. Paul could preach all the vision he wanted. Let's do a bus ministry. Let's do this ministry. Let's do that ministry. But anyone who walked into that church watched people who got drunk off of communion, watched people who ate like they, were, like they were hungry when they went to the communion table, saw women who dressed in inappropriate ways. It's all in 1 Corinthians. You can read about it. It's a church gone wild. So Paul could have spent 95% of his time saying, let's get here. And they would have never got there. Why? Because their culture wasn't ready to get there. And so in the last three weeks, God has brought me full circle. And I began to say, if the culture is going to change, I need to change. And here's how. Mark Dever puts it this way. A healthy church is a congregation that increasingly reflects God's character as his character has been revealed in his word. You want to know why the Sermon on the Mount is so difficult for us to hear? Because it changes our culture. Because we can no longer stay the same. We can no longer look like we once looked. It changes every step of what Faith Church stands for. It makes us sit up and take realize that we better darn well pull the, the, the two by four out of our own eyes before we start trying to pull the speck out of our brother's eyes. It makes us sit up and realize that even when we look with the wrong heart, we have already committed the sin. It changes our culture. It changes how we interact with each other because it makes us sit up and say, hey, this is serious stuff. Because when someone walks into our church who doesn't know Jesus, we are showing them what Jesus looks like. And Jesus doesn't look like backbiting. And Jesus doesn't look like gossip. And Jesus doesn't look like unforgiveness. And Jesus doesn't look like the things that the Sermon on the Mount talk about and the Lord's Prayer talk about. Or sermon. He does look like those. He looks like forgiveness. He looks like the breadwinner that 
Pastor Landon talked about earlier. He is the mighty God that we talked about the first week of this sermon series. It's powerful. It's powerful because it could change our lives. Now we understand something. And let me just stop here. We'd frankly rather talk about the bigger things. You know why? You know why I want to talk about, let's start a bus ministry. Let's do this big thing. Let's do this big thing. Because it's easier than looking at my own heart and saying, Brett, you got to change. <laughs> That's why. It's easier to look at, look at the big picture and say, oh, we could do this and we could do that and we could do this. But when it comes down to my heart as your pastor, whew, I got to take, take a step back. And we also understand that striving towards perfection here on earth is not going to get us there. But we strive for it. We continue to fight for it. Hitting that goal is probably not going to happen this side of heaven. You also want to know why many churches never complete their visions. Why the big things never come to fruition. Why they struggle to make ministry happen. And I've talked to four different pastors this week and asked them this very question. And they were in bigger churches than ours by hundreds. Because they forget something. And it's the something that Peter almost forgot in Matthew 18. And it's the something that we almost forget in Matthew 18. And here's what Matthew 18 says in verse 21 and 22. Or 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to 70 times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not 70 times, not seven times, excuse me, he says not seven times, but 77 times. Now, this rendering of the Greek, 77 times, is the best translation of the Greek. You may have heard 70 times, not seven. You may have heard whatever other number, but let's just understand it's not completely wrong to say those numbers. The important point of this, and this is where, this is where people who want to, to pick at something will pick at it. Because they'll say, well, you said 77 times, and my Bible says 77 times, times 7, 70 times 7. Here's the point of Jesus. Here's the important point. We shouldn't be counting trespasses. It's the next slide, please. I believe, yes. We shouldn't be counting trespasses. And so Peter comes to him, and here's, here's the story. Um, so, you, you, you've, so, so, what, so what Peter comes to him is, and he asks him this question. Okay, God, okay, Jesus, how, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Now, remember what the context is. Brother or sister gives us a very good clue. And maybe your, your, your translation says something different, but I can tell you the best translation is brother or sister. Why? Because the context is right here, Faith Church. This isn't about your unsaved uncle who has, who has messed you over 17,000 times. This is about living out community right here, right now in the church because it's brother or sister. He's asking, 
How many times do I got to forgive John when he upsets me? He's asking, how many times do I got to forgive Matthew when he talks about tax collecting and I don't like it? And Jesus gives him this answer 77, 77 times or 70 times 7. But the point isn't the number because it's not like we're supposed to get to number 78 and if, 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 uh, if, if Pastor Landon uh, does me wrong 77 times, I, I got it marked in my, in my office. He's only done me wrong about 60, all right? So we're good. But um, <laughs> no, he hasn't done me wrong 60 times. But anyway, if he does me wrong 77 times, when he breaks that 78th, what Jesus is not saying and what some of us have come to learn that Jesus is saying, and it's wrong, this is a 78 time, man. I don't know. Hit the road, buddy. I don't got to forgive you again. He said 77 times. Or maybe it's 491 times. And we get to 491 and we say, you know, hey, I'm done. I'm, I'm done counting because you know what? You've, you've outdone your last sin. It's not at all what Christ is getting at here. His real point is, stop counting. Stop counting. Peter thinks, well, I'll throw out the number of completeness here, and I'll be with above the grade. That's what he thinks. You all know that seven is a special number in Scripture. It's a, they, they call it the number of completeness. And so some believe that Peter was calling out this number because he's saying, he's saying to Christ, hey, man, I'm way above the curve. I got the number of completion. I got seven times, man. And Jesus goes, um, Peter, you've missed the point. You shouldn't be counting your trespasses against you. I want to kind of remind you of the context again. We're not talking about unsaved people. So again, this, this, this concept, while it may work with unsaved people, it is not aimed at that. It is aimed at a church of believers, the disciples. Peter is not asking about, how do I forgive Uncle Frank, who's done me wrong 300 times? No, it's very clear in the context, and if you read the Greek, it's very clear that he's asking about someone who has done him wrong inside the crowd. That's why culture is so important. Because if we're not a forgiving culture, we will hold on to hurts and pains. will bring baggage to the flame. And God won't bless it. Here's a question. So why is forgiveness so hard? I'm not going to answer it right now. I'm going to give you a story. I'll answer it at the end. I'm so very glad that you asked. I believe it's hard for us in churches because we have forgotten something very key. Jesus uses a parable to explain it. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 18, 23 through the following. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts 
with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed in 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with him, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So here's some help for us. I just want you to get some help. This is on your... <laughs> that sounded wrong. I want you to get some help. Um, but... Uh, um, here, it's on your sermon outline. First of all, the king is God, all right? The king is God. I want you to understand that. Number two, the servants is God's people. That's you. That's you. Number three, obedient and disobedient children equal contrast between righteous behavior and wicked behavior of God's people. Again, you. So Christ clearly gives us a contrast. There are those who do what is right, and there are those who hold on to trespasses. Number three, or number four, setting accounts is a representation of judgment. And so this big story, this big point of this story is, is that Christ is taking us to judgment day. And he's saying, this is, this is the way it's going to be. So here's the deal. The king wants to be paid. He wants his money. He calls the servant in and tells him he owes him a certain amount. It's probably close to $1 trillion today by some estimates in some commentaries. We are guessing on that number, so if your Bible says something different, don't count me out yet. Don't throw the stones yet. I have done my study, and commentaries simply are guessing. Every one of them say, this is a guess. But here's what we do know. The debt discussed here is big enough that any in the ancient mindset would have been blown away. This was almost inconceivable. In other words, there, these kind of debts didn't just happen overnight in this day and age. This wasn't going to Wells Fargo and signing for a loan. This was huge. And so every one of the disciples that are sitting around listening to this story and hearing this story, their eyes perked up. Their eyes got as big as, as, um, as golf balls, like, holy cow, that is a huge debt. So this king removes this debt. He doesn't require payment because the guy says, listen, simply, I just cannot pay that amount of money. And then he lets the servant just walk away. called grace, friends. The king is owed one trillion dollars. Instead of demanding the payment, he says to the guy, he, he, he looks at the guy in his pitiful state as he falls on his knees and says, I can't pay your debt. I can't pay your debt. And the king just says, go. The debt's been paid. And then in verse 17 or 27, we see these words, took pity. Now, I want you to understand about these words. It's the same words that are used when Christ looks over the city. I think it's in like Matthew 9 or something like that. Christ looks over the city, and there's these words that come right after Christ looks over the city, and it says, and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep 
without a shepherd. And we don't like to discuss it today because it's not, you know, the most clean thing to discuss. But here's what that literally means. You, you can look it up in any concordance or anything. Here's, here's what it literally means. His guts moved. It means that when Jesus looked at the city and saw how broken they were and how hurtful they were and how, how, how they did not follow a shepherd and how they needed a leader and they didn't have one and how broken it was, his guts moved. He was sick to his stomach in compassion. Can I, can I give you an example that's probably real life to you? At least it was for me. It's like the first day you heard that Vladimir Putin was going to attack Ukraine and you watched the bombs go off. I don't know about you, but it made me sick to my stomach for the Ukrainian people. It's probably what God feels when he watches our world turn out of control. And he watches as people just do their own thing and don't care about him. He probably gets sick to his stomach in compassion. Same thing here. The king took pity on him. He had compassion on him. It's so full of emotion that literally it means that he had a stomach ache. The story continues with that ever present, with that present first word, but. Jesus continues the story and he says this, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now let me back up for you and keep you up with the story. Here's this same servant, just forgiven a debt that, that if we tried to add it up today, it probably would get close to a, a trillion dollars. It was so big that the disciples' ears Went, went through the roof. Their, their, their eyes got as big as golf balls because no one should have a debt that big. And he comes to one of his other servants who owes him. We, again, don't want to get caught up in the amounts, but we are talking very little debt here. And the servant chokes his servant. It would be like $1 trillion to $20. And he comes out of his, he, he just gets done with the king, God. And God looks at him and says, you pay the trillion dollar debt. He falls on his knees and he says, just give me some time. And he begs for his life. <clears throat> and God says, okay, get up, walk away. Debt is paid. I'm not going to ask you to pay the debt. 
This same guy walks out of that very situation. And we don't know how much time's passed. Many commentaries are guessing that it was a minute, two minutes, three minutes. He's just got out of the palace of the king. Forgiven a million dollar debt. He finds somebody. He comes upon one of his servants who's waiting for him to come out. And he finds him and he remembers, you owe me $20. And look at his reaction. Notice what the king didn't do to him. He didn't strangle him. But this guy, this guy grabs his servant by his neck and strangles him and says, give me the $20. The guy, the servant, does the exact same thing he did with the king. He gets on his knees and he says, just give me some time. I'll pay the debt off. And instead of saying, get up and walk away and the debt is paid, what's he do? He throws him in prison. So for those keeping score, here's what we have. We have a servant forgiven, a trillion dollar debt, who finds his servant who owes him $100. And his first response is to choke him and demand the money. But they aren't alone. Because there's other servants in the room or watching somewhere. And they report what they just saw to the king, who is God. Remember, it's important. We are getting close to the application of the story. But there's other servants watching this. No one steps up for the guy. No one says a word. They go to the king and they report this guy. And then the story continues. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So now here we are. We're back to the original characters of the parable. The king, God, and his servant, God's people. And God lays lays it out on the line and he says, you wicked servant. In other words, you chose wrong. You're not walking righteously with me. You couldn't even show mercy to your servant who you, need, owed, who you knew owed you a ton less than you owe me. And he hands his servant over to the jailers to be tortured until he pays back his enormous debt. And here's what I want you to understand about this story here at the end. Get this. There was no work details back in that day. What are, you, what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is prisoners didn't get out and get jobs and work for money. So what I'm really saying is this. When he went in, he's a lifer. What, 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 wait, what are you saying? I'm saying he's in life for prison because there's no way in the world he's paying a trillion dollars back while he sits in that prison because he isn't getting out to do work. He's done. He's done. He can't pay it. They didn't have work details back then. They didn't bring the prisoners out and give them work and then give it, put it into their little account so they could make phone calls. 
None of that happened. This is a life sentence because of what he chose to do. And we, we tend to read this story and we get high on our horse. Like, I can't. I, I, can't. I mean, at least I do sometimes. I, I just can't believe that a guy would. I mean, you know, it was a parable. And so we, we tend to say, well, was it a real story? Well, I'm sure Jesus probably saw this kind of stuff happening because it is real. And then we wonder about the debt that was paid for us. One trillion, sixty-five trillion. I'm not sure. And our brother or sister who's sitting here today or maybe not sitting here today or whatever is owes us a couple of pennies. And somehow those couple of pennies mean more than this cross does. Somehow we hold on to anger and frustration and tick, get ticked off. Just like the servant did. We forget that when we came to this cross, we came as a beggar. Kneeling at the cross, we had nothing, nothing to offer. Nothing. There was nothing good about ourselves. There was nothing that was perfect about ourselves. We had nothing. We could only lean on his grace off this cross. But those two pennies are going to be paid to us. And I'm going to make sure I hold on to it for years until those pennies are paid back. And you want to get upset with the servant in the story? Each of you have received, or let, let, me, let me just stop here for a second and, and let you know what from your heart means. You notice that Jesus says at the end of the story there, unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart, those three words we, we just read over those. What we hear is this. Unless we just forgive them. So, so I forgive you, and we move on. No, forgiveness requires life change here. By the forgiver and the forgiven, friends. That's how you know you've been truly forgiven, or you have truly forgiven a brother or sister. This is why, verses 15 and 18, Jesus spends time telling the church, you can read it later, in Matthew chapter 18, he tells the church how to deal with those who have not shown life change in their wrongdoings. Why does Jesus take time to talk about the culture of the church why does Jesus in 15 through 18 stop his, his teaching and say, listen, if this person who isn't forgiving, who isn't doing the right thing, who isn't living righteously, chooses not to change their lives, this is how you deal with that. Why does he do that? Because culture doesn't mean a thing to Jesus. 
No, because culture means everything to Jesus. Everything to Jesus. How we act matters. How I act matters. But somehow in 2022, what we've done, and, 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 and I've spoken again to my brothers in ministry who have said this, sometimes in 2022 what we have done is we've thrown it all on me. And we've said, look at 1 Timothy 3, if he isn't under control, if he isn't this, if he doesn't forgive, if he doesn't do that, well then we ought to take him straight to the PRC and we ought to get him fired. No, 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 no. How about, are you forgiving This doesn't say, Pastor, are you living a righteous life? Now, each of you have received a bag of stones this morning. We know the story in John 8 where an adulterous woman is caught in adultery. There's no doubt she's been, she's been unfaithful. And so we, we come to that story, and Jesus uh, is trying to be trapped by the, by the people who, are, who think they're smarter than Jesus. And Jesus is asked a question, what will you do with her? And if he says, stone her to death, I'll tell you what will happen. His ministry will change drastically for the rest of his life because he'll be known as an ogre. He's the guy that told the people to stone the adulterous woman. Can you believe a guy who says he's about love on a cross allowed to have an adulterous woman stoned? If he doesn't stone her, they'll say he's all about grace and not about truth. So he turns it on them. He says, I tell you what, the first one, the one who has no sin in this room or in this place, you pick up the stone and throw it. Crowd disperses. The woman looks up at Jesus, who, by the way, is the only one that can pick up the stone and throw it at her. And he says, well, they didn't find you guilty, so neither do I. Go, but he doesn't stop there. And sin no more. Why? Because culture matters. Don't live like you once did. Change your life. Because that's what truly being forgiven means. Changing your life. So I come back to that question that I started with this morning. And we'll get to the stones. Why is forgiveness so hard? Here's the answer. Because we forget how, hard, how far we have fallen. And the price that was paid for that debt that we could not pay. We forget about this until about this time of year. We forget that we were nothing. Every one of us, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter what you know, no one was good enough at the cross of Jesus. We have been forgiven millions, trillions, billions, and yet we think we have the right to shake the daylights out of a brother or sister because they offended us or hurt us. That equals to hundreds, maybe even thousands, or sometimes even less than hundreds. 
Yet for God gave, a, for de- gave a, you a debt that you could not pay even if you gave him everything you got. Do you realize that? You could lay out your check account here. I don't care how big it is or how small it is. You can lay out all your degrees. It ain't going to pay the debt that you owe, friends. You can put your house on on loan and say, Jesus, take my house for the payment of debt. It isn't going to touch it. And I don't care if you live in the biggest mansion in Reading. It still isn't going to touch it. You can do whatever you want to to try to pay the bill. It will not be paid. It's only because he looks at us and says the debt is paid that it even gets close to being paid. Yet God forgave a debt that you could not pay even again if you gave him everything. Will you forgive others who trespassed against you this morning? Will you forgive others as he has forgiven you? So you have the right to throw the stones this morning. Here's what I want you to know. And, and this is where pastors sometimes go wrong when they're talking about this story and they're, and they're talking about forgiveness. No one's denying you the right that you have to throw this stone this morning. You've been burned. You've been hurt. Some of you have been hurt by people in my position. Some of you have been hurt by me. You, no one is doubting that you are hurt. No one is, is making light of it. No one is making it to be roses. No one is sitting here in this pulpit today, and when I prayed about this message and how I was going to go about it, never did I say these people just got to get over their hurt. Never did I say that in my heart or in my lips. Everyone has been hurt. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. And so you have the right to hold on to that. You have the right. You have the right. You have the right. But here's what the Apostle Paul says. Just because we have the right to do certain things doesn't mean it's beneficial to do those things. So much not beneficial that I can tell you Today, if you're on our email list, you are going to receive an email of an article from John Hopkins University. You say, why am I going to receive that email? I found a medical article that's newer that literally when you are full of unforgiveness, how it kills your brain cells. How it hurts your medical production. So even if you take the Bible out of it, forgiveness is a good thing. Literally, in that article, it says that it can cause heart issues. Made me sit up and take notice. It can cause sickness. Unforgiveness. And then last, I want to leave you with this before we we, we go to that song at the end here to to have you come. And and I'm just going to ask you to consider taking some of those those stones and thinking of people. I want you to think of real-life people today. I'm not trying to bring up anger. I'm not trying to bring up frustration. But I want you to think of people who deserve your forgiveness. And maybe you've been holding off on it. And I want you to remember what happened in the Revelation churches. And one church is told that they've lost their first love. 
And you can look at this later. You can study it later. I'm not going to go there this morning. But, but, but I feel led to say this. They lost their first love. And at the end of the whole story, when Jesus is telling them that you've, you've done all these great things and yet you've lost your first love, he gives a little hint why they have lost their first love. You know what he says? Because you've forgotten how far you have fallen. forgot about the trillion dollar bill that I paid for you and you made it about yourself and your own hurt and you're holding on to the two pennies that somebody else owes you because you forgot about the cross that I gave you faith church if there's a plead in my heart for this church it is this would we please give up the two pennies and fall at the trillion dollars stop it Stop holding on. We're, we're, we all need the cross. Therefore, we're all going to say things that aren't appropriate. Therefore, we're going to have hurt feelings. Therefore, we're going to be a family. Do you ever go on a family? I mean, maybe I'm just a weird family guy, but I've never gone on a family vacation that we got along 100% perfectly all the time, the whole time we were al- alone. No, things come up. Kids leave a toy in the middle of the floor. Dad finds a toy with a toe. All of a sudden, I've forgotten how far I've fallen. I'm ticked off because I took my toe out for that toy. Why? Because we're family. We do have struggles because you know why, Freddie, Serenity, Michelle, and myself, none of us are perfect. We need this. Faith Church, I don't care if you're on the membership rules or you're not. You need this. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's going to say things and do things that are going to upset someone. It's the choice between whether we're going to fall on the trillion-dollar debt and say, because I was forgiven trillions of dollars, I'll forgive this person who owes me $100, or we're going to just hold on to that $100 and forget totally about this trillion-dollar debt that was paid in our part. It's that easy of a choice. So I said something to you earlier about how I've changed my life. I'm going to tell you how I've changed my life. And this is simply how I've changed it. And I'm not going to tell you I've gotten it perfect yet because I haven't, because I'm not. But I'm going to focus on this. Y'all can focus on what you want to focus on, but your pastor's going to focus on the trillion-dollar debt. I'm tired of holding on to two penny debts that drag the church down. Trillion, two pennies. I'm so thankful. That he paid a debt to a punk five-year-old that I didn't even understand what the whole debt was about when I came to know him. And I've been through life's trials and struggles, and I've failed him over and over again. He continues to just write the check. Never once asked me for a penny. I come before him in my office, and I say, Lord, 
I, I might have said something wrong to somebody in the church. I'm so sorry for that. And you know what he says? He doesn't say, I know, you're a jerk. You should get over it. No, here's his response. Every time I come, when I've, when I've asked him for an apology, every time I've come and repented before him, his response is this. It's been paid. But Lord, I got to do some. No, no, no. You don't have to do a thing. It's been paid, Brett. But Lord, I got to. No, no, no. Paid. So you have a right to throw the stones this morning, no doubt about it. I'm asking you to drop the stones at the cross this morning. There's three pails up here. There's this song called Losing by 10th Avenue North, a powerfully written song. Read the lyrics as it plays in just a moment. Listen, friends, to the clicks in the pails today. Because in those clicks, it's a brother or sister saying, I'm not going to choose to hang on to the $100 debt. I'm going to choose to focus on the trillion-dollar debt. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose forgiveness over hate. I'm going to choose forgiveness over holding on to a grudge. That's what every click of a stone this morning represents. Go ahead and play the video and come as you would. I can't believe what she said I can't believe what he did Oh, don't they know it's wrong Don't they know it's wrong, yeah Maybe there's something I missed But how could they treat me like this? It's wearing out my heart The way they disregard oh, This is love This is hate Father, won't you forgive them? They don't know what they 
Just before we bow for a word of prayer, everyone takes home one of these. This is in your bulletin as well. You can keep it in your, your, uh, your Bible. It says, I am forgiven and loved. Forgiven a debt you could not pay. And then it's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, to be a Christian means to forgive the excusable, inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. In other words, $1 trillion, a couple of hundred dollars. The inexcusable is forgiven in all of us. So please keep this in your Bible. And then on the back, it does have, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. This cross behind me represents trillions, trillions, and trillions of dollars that have been forgiven for each of us. Lord, as we go throughout this week, as we, as we interact with one another, as we interact with those who have a relationship with you, may we be, may we be, may we be reminded of this powerful illustration, this parable, that we've been forgiven trillions of dollars. And so that slight that hurt, that name, that pain that we've experienced at the, at the cost of someone else, from someone else, doesn't even compare to what you have given to us. Help us to truthfully walk away from it today, to drop the stone, and to be able to say we have changed lives because we were forgiven and because we are a forgiving people. For Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 